Welcome to this week's sermon audio from Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Romans, the Gospel for Sinners. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out His sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I, lay, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious God in heaven, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, that you'd open our hearts and our minds. The scriptures have been read, and so now your word is to be proclaimed, and we desire to hear it with joy. We pray that you would enable that today. In our hearts and our minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That God chose Israel is indisputable. It was, they were the descendants of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, that God redeemed from Egypt, gave His law, and established as a nation. What is disputed is whether all of Israel inherited the kingdom of heaven. Now, some would have us to believe, even in this day, but also as many first century Jews believed, that eternal life for a Jew, unlike the Gentile, is by natural descent and of keeping the law. Some even go as far as to believe in a secret rapture in which Christians are just whisked away to heaven so that God can deal with Israel left here on earth. And according to this teaching, ethnic Israel is reconstituted as a nation. Temple worship is restarted 
sacrifice recommenced and through obedience to God's judicial, ceremonial, moral law, Israel will be saved. We have so much for the indwelling incarnation, the atoning death, the life-giving resurrection of Israel's Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? (laughs) What Paul reveals in his epistle, as we look at today, and as he consistently is going to show us something very different from this idea. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, Paul says in Romans chapter 9 at the beginning of the chapter. He goes on to tie in Abraham as well by saying, not all children of Abraham are of Abraham. They're not all of his offspring. Now, though God chose natural Israel for the ultimate purpose of the coming of the Son of God, such favor did not guarantee salvation. What does guarantee salvation? The sovereign grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's really that simple, isn't it? No need to make it more complex. Indeed, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, but only those, think with me back to Romans chapter 8, but only those who are foreknown and predestined as vessels of mercy, which God prepared beforehand for glory. Now, as if this weren't startling enough, Paul also reveals that there is a true spiritual Israel. And at times it seems a bit confusing as we're reading through Romans. But if you read it slowly, if you read it carefully, it'll be quite obvious. There is a natural Israel, and then there is the true, the spiritual Israel, which consists, according to God's ordination, of more than those of Jewish ethnicity, but also of the inclusion of Gentiles too. God is called both Jew and Gentile, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also adopted as children of God. And if if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, Scripture teaches us. In Christ, Jew and Gentile alike are children of God, revealing not a replacement but true Israel in Christ. Now that such reality sounds strange to some, I have to confess, is strange indeed, because Scripture is remarkably clear on this point. As God revealed through the prophet Hosea, as you have the text in front of you, look at verse 25 with me. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Those who were not God's people would become, look at verse 26, this is remarkable, really. And of course, speaking to us as Gentiles. Those of us who were not called God's people become, look at the end of verse 26, sons of the living God. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that God rejected all 
of Israel. As an Israelite, think about it, Paul is living proof of this. He is a Jew and knows Christ. Rather, God has spared not the whole, and uses the writing, rather quoting from the Old Testament, using this this beautiful metaphor, uh, as many as the sand on the seashore, we might say, which doesn't mean a particular number, but rather a lot. There are a lot of children of Israel, but God has chosen to save only, note the word he uses here, only a remnant, according to his sovereign purpose. So we might ask here then, okay, so what is the difference? What is the difference between those who God spares and those whom God does not spare? What's the difference between the two? If it's not Jew and it's not Gentile, what's the difference? Well, it certainly isn't ethnicity or heritage. It's definitely not common patriarchs, law, worship, or nationality. In fact, given Israel's track record of unfaithfulness, in fact, given Israel's track record of consistently breaking God's covenant, but for God's mercy, He would have wiped them completely out. Note the reference here. Wiped them out like Sodom and and Gomorrah. But in God's mercy, God preserved a remnant. True Israel within Israel, Israel to save from his wrath and imminent judgment. And in his sovereign grace, God has revealed that the descendants of Abraham, the offspring of Israel, are more than a remnant of ancient Israel. But they are a people from every tribe, a people from every tongue, a people from every nation, a chosen race, Peter says, a royal priesthood. A holy nation not contained in one nation. A people among all peoples who are the people of God's possession. A people of His mercy. A people who have received mercy. If by His eternal decree, God has foreordained some vessels of wrath and predestined others vessels of mercy, then think with me. What responsibility have we? Let me ask that again. If by God's eternal decree, He has foreordained some vessels of wrath and predestined others vessels of mercy, what responsibility have we? If you hold to a traditional Reformed or Calvinistic doctrine, you have been asked this before. Now, oftentimes, some will say, so are you saying that we are merely automatons wound up And working out our makers doing like robots? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Hardly. I think through this with me. As God is holy, then then an automaton would be what? Holy. A holy maker equals a holy robot. But we're neither, are we? Apart from Christ... In reality, none is righteous, no, not even one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. In the freedom of our will, you might say, no one does good, not even one. And this is the case, of course, for Jew 
and Gentile alike. One, think about it, one sought righteousness through self-righteous works. The other didn't seek righteousness at all. Truly, truly, as Paul had made clear in Romans chapter 3, none is righteous. But God is. And His standard of holiness and righteousness does not deviate. He doesn't change with the times. He doesn't accommodate Himself to us as humans. But rather, His standard is very clear. You shall be holy, for I am holy. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility is righteousness. Big problem, because we're not. (laughs) Such is the human dilemma. And it is a dilemma that is unsolvable unless God acts. And so He has. Rather than robots of righteousness... We are spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. Rather than holiness, we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, Paul says in Ephesians. But in God's mercy, in His eternal love, God saved us by His grace. But the question remains, doesn't it? How can a righteous God save an unrighteous people by His grace? To be righteous, we must be given righteousness. Theologians refer to this as an alien righteousness. Embodied in whom? Embodied in Christ. Perfect righteousness. In the great exchange, God made him to be sin who knew no sin. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And that verse just comes alive. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. That verse comes alive, doesn't it? In light of the question of, are we merely robots of righteousness? No, no, no. No, it has to be given to us by God's grace. And this God has done by His grace. And how has He done it? What is the mechanism by which He has done this? He's done it through faith. He's done it through faith. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. And it is by this faith that we are justified as righteous. What should we say then, Paul asks? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. As we say, by God's grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, we are saved. But Gentiles are not the only ones who are saved By God's grace, through faith, but Jews too. This was the misunderstanding in the first century. It's even a misunderstanding today. In fact, it is the qualifying characteristic of not natural Israel, but true spiritual Israel and Abraham's offspring. Do you remember back when, you know, a couple of years ago when we were in Romans chapter 4? 
just kidding. But when we're in Romans chapter 4, do you remember what Paul wrote about Abraham? He said this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Continuing to hear this, right? There's a certain redundancy here. The Pharisees may have challenged Jesus. Remember when they said, Abraham is our father. Which was biologically true, right? There's no contestation of that. You're right. Biologically, you are children of Abraham. Check. Problem. Spiritually, Abraham's offspring are all and only those who are justified as righteous through faith in Christ. And so the Pharisees could claim Abraham's our father and spend eternity in hell. A Gentile who had never heard the name of Jesus, but in hearing the gospel, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, inherited the kingdom of heaven. Paul explains Abraham believed God. Again, chapter 4, Romans. Abraham believed God. And scripture says what? It was counted to him as righteousness. Words written not only for our sake, or rather for his sake, but for ours as well, Paul says. Paul goes on to say, It will be counted to us who believe in him. Who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. To the Corinthians, Paul said this, and I love this verse. Let this sink in. He said, Christ became, in that great exchange, Christ became to us wisdom of God. Righteousness and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's like what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, isn't it? When we look at this doctrine, we look at what God's Word reveals, oh my goodness, all we can do is cry out, oh God, why me? Oh God, praise you. Let's step back for just a second then. Let's think through what the problem was with the Jewish argument of keeping the law. Israel as a whole looked not to the Lord, but to the law for redemption. Not true worship, but works of self-righteousness. Well, Paul puts it bluntly. You may recall in Romans chapter 2, Paul said bluntly, If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. As it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. But the irony is, you who read your Bible know this so well, the irony is is that the Jews went to great lengths to distance themselves from Gentiles, didn't they? If sincerity saves, if sincerity saves, every faithful Jew will be in heaven. But it doesn't. Because sincerity, apart from the gospel of grace, is hypocrisy. 
This is what Jesus said to the leaders of Israel, who were incredibly confused on this point. Jesus said to Israel's leaders, You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And as a result, as Jesus called them repeatedly, they were blind guides, believing salvation is attained by what they could not what they could do, not what God has done. And God's law became a means of achievement, climbing the ladder of works rather than the revelation of God's perfect righteousness. And sadly, the idea that works of the law can justify a sinner, well, it's just an insult to God's law. It's an offense, really, because the problem is not with God's law. It's with whom? The law keeper. No, God's word says the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey. And the drippings of the honeycomb. No, it's not the righteousness of the law that is the problem. The problem is Israel's pursuit of righteousness by their works. What they pursued was never nor will ever be attained. Because no one is justified as righteous by works. But only by God's grace through faith. Of course, work salvation is not a relic of ancient Israel, is it? Works religion is alive and, I might add, thriving today. All who look to their own efforts, their own merits, their own righteousness, essentially practice a variety of Israel's religion. And nothing is more offensive to works-based religion than what? Nothing is more offensive to works-based religion than what? The gospel. The gospel. As Paul explained to the Corinthians, Jews, well, Jews demand signs. Greeks, well, they seek wisdom. But Paul said this, these beautiful words. He said, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You see, Christ, He who kept the law perfectly, He is more than just a good example for us to follow. He's our Savior. Whose sacrificial death and victorious resurrection secured salvation for all, Jew and Gentile alike, all who look to Christ through faith. It's like that song that we sing in Rock of Ages. Not the labors of my hands 
can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. He who is a stumbling stone to the self-righteous is the rock of salvation for all who believe. He who is the stumbling stone that those who want to work their way to heaven fall over He to us. He is our rock of salvation. Merging two verses together into one, Paul quotes Isaiah. Look with me at verse 33. He says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Now, what this actual stone is, historically, is disputed. Who this stone is, is not. The metaphorical stone tripped up the unbelieving. What need did they have of grace when works of the law so satisfied their self-righteousness? Ironically, those through whom the promise would be fulfilled did not believe the promise fulfilled. Such are the mysterious ways of God we do not understand. The people who awaited their Messiah missed Him in their waiting, even stumbling over Him in their pursuit of Him. This is the way the Apostle Peter puts it. He says, They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, while those who were not God's covenant people became sons of the living God. Such truth then calls not for arrogance. It calls not for boasting. Such truth calls for humility. We could have stumbled over Christ. We could have, but for God's grace. But for God's grace, we could have easily been offended by the gospel. Unless God had shown us mercy, we would never have known the rock of our salvation stumbling into eternal shame. But God has shown us mercy, graciously saving all who believe in His one and only Son, promising us eternal life. So let us humbly give thanks, even this morning, I might say especially this morning, let us give thanks as vessels of mercy. And I want that picture in your mind to just sink in, to think of yourself, especially as we celebrate the sacrament this morning. Visualize, if you will, we are, you are a vessel of God's mercy, giving thanks for we who were not God's people have become God's people. Let us give thanks that in His mercy and in His eternal love for us, He calls us His, and I love this word, His beloved. Let us give thanks that while we did not pursue the righteousness of God, by His grace, He justified us 
as righteous before God through faith. And let us give thanks that He who is the stumbling stone for many is our rock of salvation. And so let us rejoice for the Lord liveth and blessed be our rock and let the God of our salvation be exalted. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you that the stumbling stone for Israel, the stumbling stone for many, is our rock of salvation. And so we look to Him and to Him alone by Your grace through faith. Remind us even today of this great and rich blessing that we have in Christ. May it humble us and may it lead us to cry out in praise and thanksgiving to You. Prepare our hearts, we pray, for celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fortsmouth, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.